Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please open up to Romans chapter 1. Uh, Yes, we're still in Romans chapter 1, and uh, we'll be for a little while still. This morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, as we continue our study through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Roman church. As you can see on the screen, I've entitled this series, The Unbreakable Chain of Salvation. This title refers to the main theme of this letter and of the whole of Scripture, that there is good news that we can proclaim to every person on the face of the earth. That good news, or gospel, is that God Himself has provided a way of salvation and eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Now in my last three sermons, we looked at the first 15 verses of this letter. In those verses, we learned about the author, the theme and the focus of the letter, and God's provisions for us in the gospel. Paul also wrote about his desire to come to Rome and to preach the gospel there. In verse 15, he stated it in this way, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In our passage for today, Paul will tell us why he is so eager to preach the gospel there in Rome. In fact, in these next two verses, I believe are the most important verses in this letter and perhaps the most important verses in the entire Bible. They tell us the theme or the main point of this letter, which is also the essence of Christianity. They tell us how a person can be saved from sin and be saved unto eternal life. They tell us how a person can be made right with God. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of our text. I'll be reading Romans 1, 16 and 17. This is God's word for us today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. I could literally preach a series of sermons from these two verses. But this morning, we're going to focus on four key words found in this short passage. Gospel, salvation, righteousness, and faith. We will see that God's power works through the gospel to save souls through the imputation of Christ's righteousness that is received by faith. These four words are like links 
in that unbreakable chain of salvation. So let's start by looking at the word gospel, which, as I've already said several times, is really the theme of this letter. Look again at verse 16a. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, as he already stated, he was eager to preach the gospel. And that is because it has the power to bring about salvation. It contains not just any power, but the very power of God that we so desperately need to bring about our salvation. Why do we so desperately need salvation? It is because God is perfectly holy and righteous, and we are not. We are sinful human beings lacking the perfect holiness and righteousness required to have a loving relationship with a holy and righteous God. In fact, God must pour out His holy wrath upon all human beings who do not experience this salvation. He must. In fact, next Sunday, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, and all the way to chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul will explain the devastating effects of sin upon the human race that will result in God pouring out His holy wrath upon all human beings who do not receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, I'm not going to cover that whole passage next Sunday, but we will start looking at that passage next Sunday, starting with verse 18. Look down in your Bibles. Look at what verse 18 says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The good news is God has provided a way of salvation. The bad news is if you don't receive it, through faith, the wrath of God is what is coming for you. That begins this section of the letter. In the middle of that section of the letter, in the middle of it, look, turn to Romans 3, verse 10. Paul here quoting from the Old Testament. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, that's not my estimation of the human race. That is God's. Apart from Christ, there is not one single human being who is righteous, who is good, and who seeks for God. Therefore, what is coming for them 
is the wrath of God that is due for their rebellion. And he closes this section with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the holiness of God, of the righteousness of God. All. Every man, woman, boy, girl, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why it is imperative for all human beings to hear the gospel proclaimed. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you can't believe without hearing. Hearing and believing the gospel is the only way to be set free from the wrath of God that is due to us for our sins. God will be perfectly just in pouring out His wrath upon sinners. No one will receive any more than what they deserve. But you don't want what you deserve. And so the gospel is the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life with God. Whoever believes in Him for their salvation will not receive the wrath of God that is due for their sins. It is the good news that God has made a way for us to be cleansed from our unrighteousness and for us to be clothed in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. And He did this by sending His Son to this planet to take on the form of a man And not just any man, but the righteous Son of God. And to live a perfect, righteous life of obedience to the Father. And then, to take our place upon a cross. Suffering the wrath of God due for our sins. Dying in our place. He was taken down from that cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day, he rose again. Praise be to God. And appeared to over 500 of his disciples. Showing them that he had conquered sin. He had conquered death. He had conquered Satan. It is this, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God that provides salvation for us. It provides the salvation that mankind so desperately needs. But what exactly is salvation? Paul uses this word, soteria, in the Greek. He uses it 48 times in his letters. 13 times in this letter alone. So I think it's kind of important that we understand what salvation means. The basic idea behind this word is that of deliverance or rescue. And the point here is that through the gospel, God reveals his power to rescue us from the ultimate penalty of our sin. 
which is spiritual death and eternal separation from God and eternal conscious punishment. That is what is due again for our sins, for our rebellion against God. But in salvation, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to deliver us from bondage to sin, deliver us from the bondage to our flesh and to Satan. In salvation, God breaks those chains that bind us and he sets us free to live to the praise of his glory. Amen? Do we have something to be thankful for? God the Father sent his only son to secure the means of our salvation, then sent the Holy Spirit to cause us to be set free, to be born again spiritually, so that we will never fear spiritual death. I shared this with my group, a home fellowship group, Wednesday night. I don't know who I am quoting here. I don't know, or I would give credit. But you've heard this phrase before, perhaps, maybe you haven't. Those who are born once will die twice. Those who are born twice will die once. If you're only born into this world, you're going to die twice, physically, spiritually. And that is forever. But if you're born again, through hearing and believing and trusting in the gospel, you will only die once. And then eternal life with God. Salvation not only delivers us from our bondage, it also empowers us, listen to me, empowers us to live for Christ in this present world. Not perfectly, but we can make progress through the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit causes us to be born again into a new life in Christ. Remember, that's the phrase that Paul loves, in Christ. As we now live as servants of Christ and as adopted sons and daughters of God. We are set free from bondage, but we are also received into the family of God, into his church where we are privileged to serve Christ by serving one another and by telling others the message of the gospel, the good news. We are so very blessed by the salvation that God has provided to us, by the grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this includes our being credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is difficult to wrap our heads around. That my account has been credited with the righteousness of Christ. Think about what you would do if you went down to the bank to check your account balance, or maybe you do it online depending on how old we are, right? Some of us know how to use online checking, right? And you check that account, and what? 
It had $10 million in it, right? Holy cow, where's my ATM card, right? I mean, think about what you would do. Well, you'd probably contact the bank, right? And you'd say, I think there's been some kind of error here. And what if the bank told you, oh, no, sir. Uh, Jeff Bezos transferred $10 million into your account. He said he really felt like he wanted to bless you. Okay? Well, guess what, folks? We wouldn't have to worry about where we're going to move the church. Listen to me. Being credited with the righteousness of Christ? That's far greater. Far greater than billions of dollars. And this is the very heart of the gospel. That God the Father credits us with the righteousness of His Son. Note that here in verse 17. Let me read it to you again. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Note it. It's the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God the Son that is revealed in the gospel. That is credited to our account by faith. As Pastor Don mentioned earlier, and as I mentioned in my introduction to this series, it was the discovery of this truth that transformed Martin Luther and through him launched the Reformation. Luther was aware, as we are, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that Jesus exhibited a perfect righteousness and Luther knew as we should know that this was the standard of character and life rightly demanded by God from every human being Luther understood that that's the standard Christ perfection righteousness holiness that's the standard for every human being but Luther did not have this perfect righteousness, and he knew it. In fact, the more he strived to achieve this righteousness, the more elusive it became. He wanted to be righteous. He wanted to live to please God. But the more he worked at living a perfectly righteous life, the more he fell short of doing so. This caused him to begin to hate God for making the standard of righteousness so impossible to achieve. Luther later wrote, quote, I had no love for that holy and just God who punishes sinners. I was instead filled with secret anger against him. Close quote. Then, as he was studying our text, these very verses in preparation for teaching the book of Romans. The eyes of his heart and mind were open to the true meaning of this text. He would later write, Night and day I pondered this passage 
until finally, by the grace of God, I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have passed through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on new meaning. This passage became to me the gateway to heaven. And he would be correct. It is the gateway to heaven. Luther was transformed by the gospel revelation of not only Jesus' atoning death, but his perfect righteousness being credited to those who believe by faith. This is such a powerful truth. In fact, later Paul will describe this more fully in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Note that. Even the apostle Paul, arguably the greatest disciple of Christ who has ever lived, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament says, I have no righteousness of my own. But he had been credited with the righteousness of Christ. We should rejoice and give thanks to our Lord that he has revealed these glorious truths to us. And that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we Two have been credited with the perfect righteousness of Christ. Such that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. Hallelujah, what a savior. Amen? So we, you and I, should not be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith, for faith, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith seems to be an important part of this formula. This thesis statement, and indeed it is. Faith is the channel or instrument through which sinners receive salvation and through which we are credited with Christ's righteousness. But what is faith? Initially, Luther thought of faith as a work 
that he must attain to. That was common in that day. But faith is not a work. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. During the Reformation, as in our own day today, people often characterized faith as a casual acceptance of truth. The Reformers, on the other hand, recognized three essential components of saving faith. Notitia, ascensus, and fiducia in the Latin. Had to throw a little Latin in there for you. Knowledge, belief, and trust in the English language. Without all three components, you do not have biblical saving faith. It starts with knowledge. Since Jesus must be the object of saving faith, it begins by knowing about him and about what he has done to provide salvation for us. And how do we hear that? Through the gospel. We must hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing the words of Christ. So it begins with knowledge. But knowledge itself is not enough to save us. We must also affirm and believe the truth of the facts that we are presented with. So knowledge must also be accompanied by belief. A census. But even knowing and believing the facts is not enough to save us. Satan and his demons know the facts about Jesus and they believe those facts to be true. Yet they are not saved. So to knowledge and belief must be added trust. We must trust in God's word. Trust in God's promises. Trust in God himself. And this ability to trust in God is part of that gift of saving faith. Listen again to how Paul describes this gift in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How gracious is our Heavenly Father that not only did He provide the means of salvation for us, but through His Spirit, He works in us to cause us to be born again And to believe and trust in the means of salvation that he has provided for us. So we're saved by God's grace through saving faith, which is a gift from God. 
Salvation is the work of God from beginning to the end, including giving us the knowledge of Jesus as our Savior, the belief in the salvation He provides, and the desire and will to trust in Him for our salvation. Salvation comes through our giving up our own feeble efforts, good works, knowledge, and wisdom, and trusting instead in the finished, perfect work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Faith. Paul concludes this summary statement of his letter with a phrase that he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. I think Pastor Don and I are on the same page here. The righteous shall live by faith. Now this statement, again, could be several sermons in itself. But it indicates at least two things that I want to mention this morning. First, that salvation has always been through faith, not through self-righteous obedience. Remember, he's quoting Habakkuk. So in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, salvation is obtained through believing in God's promises. Just as we've seen over and over again in our study of Galatians in our home fellowship groups. Amen? Salvation is by faith in God's promises. Trusting in God. Second, this phrase reminds us that not only are we saved through faith, but we continue to live through faith and by faith. We are to continue to trust in God, to trust in His promises, to trust in His Word. This is how those who have been credited with Christ's righteousness are now to live. They're to live by faith to the glory of God, to the praise of His glorious grace. And God has provided the faith that we need to live by faith. And will continue to do so. So it's an ongoing process of trusting in God, trusting in His promises, and availing ourselves of all the means of grace that He has provided for us. So in this passage, we've clearly seen why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the non-Jew. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All of us who have heard the gospel and who have responded to it with the gift of saving faith and have been born again as a result and now have a great privilege and responsibility to live for Christ by faith and to be His witnesses. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. How can they believe 
unless they are told. Like Paul, we should not be ashamed to proclaim the gospel message, but should be eager to do so, so that we might see others set free from the bondage to sin, to death. That we might see others experience the salvation that we have experienced and have the relationship with God that we have today. We should not be ashamed, but we should be eager to share the gospel. We should be eager to glorify our Savior in that way because that's what it does. Every time we proclaim the gospel, it glorifies Christ. Regardless of the response, Christ is glorified. So this is my prayer for you, that you will go out and be his witnesses, that you will proclaim this powerful message so that many more might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to be reminded today of the power in the gospel. Father, it is powerful because you willed it to be so. And it is powerful, Father, because it tells the story of your divine provision of salvation through the giving of your son and father god we thank you for the gift of saving faith that accompanies that gospel that causes us father god to not only gain knowledge and not only believe that knowledge but to trust in you to be our savior Father, I pray that we would indeed be eager to share that gospel message with others and that we would see many others come to know Christ as a result. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.